Welcome this evening to Mosaic. Let's stand and worship together. Good evening, Mosaic. My name is Will Blanchard. I serve on the training center team here at Fellowship. So glad to see you guys. 
Whether you're joining us here in the auditorium or joining us online, I simply want to remind you tonight that our lives are invited into something bigger, far bigger than ourselves. You see, here at Fellowship, we've been invited to participate with our Heavenly Father in seeing the community of Northwest Arkansas and the world transformed for Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? You know, for many of us, we sort of stumble into a worship gathering, maybe with a million things on our mind, barely getting here on time, our senses scattered. Isn't it refreshing to be reminded that God is in control, that he has a bigger story that he's weaving together to accomplish his purposes, and he invites us to participate. You know, here at Fellowship, we are one church with five congregations scattered across Northwest Arkansas, all committed to seeing Jesus transform this community. And we accomplish that vision by pursuing our mission, which is to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ. Leaders just like you and me. Typically in the summers here at Mosaic, we love to highlight opportunities to develop spiritual leaders. So you'll see next month in June, we're actually gonna have a special commissioning service where we're gonna have a chance to commission a team of leaders here at Mosaic that are gonna be sent out to serve the Samaritan Church in two locations, East Springdale and East Rogers. In addition, if you've got students or if you are a student, We've got an incredible leadership development track called Antioch. Sign-ups are this week. You can follow the link on the screen, but it's an opportunity under the leadership of Scott and Bethany for them to invest in students, helping them develop a biblical worldview, helping them develop as spiritual leaders who are capable of investing and pouring into others. But then thirdly, throughout the summer, if you're a community group leader, or are interested in becoming a community leader, our community team here has put together a three-pack of trainings in the months of June, July, and August focused on equipping you to becoming disciple-makers in your sphere of influence. Again, you can follow the link on the screen to find out more information about that and get plugged in, all focused around producing and releasing spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ and are capable of transforming Northwest Arkansas and the world. Mosaic, that's who we are and that's what we're about. And that continues into the future. One final announcement to share with you before we dive back into worship is to let you know that starting next weekend, masks are gonna be optional as you enter the campus of fellowship. We're trusting that, that God is, is bringing us out of this season of COVID and the elders have approved that next step. So just wanna give you a heads up about that. Mosaic, if you would, join me in prayer as we jump back in to worshiping a God who's in control. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your bigness. We are so thankful for the big vision that you have invited us into. 
We're so thankful, Lord, that you've invited us to participate in that vision of seeing people come to know you, come to trust you, come to love you. And so, Lord, I pray over the body here at Mosaic, Lord, that you would raise up an army of spiritual leaders who are equipped, who are produced and released to to change this community. God, I thank you that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can live lives that are fearless. God, we come to you tonight with a posture ready to listen and receive as your word is proclaimed and as we celebrate the living Savior. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
God, we submit ourselves under your power, your authority. Oh God, we're tired of self-help projects and trying to change ourselves through our own sheer will. We just want to bow to you in this space, to confess that you reign supreme. You have power over sin and death. Help us, help us, Lord, to not feel the need to muster up strength, but just to fall onto you. Thank you.
create the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the pro 
of our hearts as each person right now in the quiet of our hearts expresses how we feel about you, how we think about you. Oh God, you are our living only hope in life and death is Jesus. How we thank you. How we love you. Amen. You can be seated. Good evening, Mosaic. We're back in our study of Hebrews this evening, and if you have your Bible or if you have a device, I'd invite you to go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 2, and we will unpack the truth tonight that Jesus has destroyed the power of death and the devil. So glad that he has. I was on the internet not long ago and came across an article that broke down the the five most feared but least likely causes of death. Number one is a plane crash. According to this survey, most of us fear going down in a plane crash. But the percentages state that that happens for each of us once every 19,000 years, and that's assuming that we fly every day over the 19,000 years. So the, the results are minimal that you and I may go down in a plane crash. Number two, all the Jaws fans out there is a shark attack. That you could die from a shark attack, according to the survey. Chances are one in seven million. That's a little too tight for me. I don't know about you. But to put it in perspective, You could die of the flu, and on average, Americans die one in every 70 of the flu, so you could probably die of the flu before you die of a shark attack. Number three is violent crime. In 2020, 400,000 people around the world died of violent crime. That's .0057 of the world's population. 
In comparison, last year, 10 million people died of cancer, which is 0.14 of the world's population. So chances are you might die of cancer before you die of a violent crime. Falling to death is number four. And uh, those percentages are just a little bit higher than a violent crime. And again, chances are you will pass by way of cancer before you fall to your death. And then number five is a terrorist attack. And you could die, chances are you'll die in in an avalanche (laughs) before you die in a terrorist attack. So the article points out, what are the three leading causes of death among people who live in our country? Number one, and you may have guessed it, is tobacco and related health issues. One in five, one in five of us, according to the statistics, will die according to tobacco and the misuse thereof and the related health issues. And right in there with it, they put it as number two, but it's actually tied for number one is obesity and the related issues around just putting on a little percentage of body fat there. But again, one in five are the percentages according to this survey. And then a close third is alcohol abuse and related issues there. 261 Americans die on average daily from alcohol abuse and the related issues. So what's, what's the point of the survey here? The point is this. We live as a society in a culture in fear of death. But the things we fear most likely are dying of are not the things we are most likely to die of. And, and of the top three, the, the tobacco, the obesity, and the alcohol abuse, notice they're all behavioral we, those are all issues of choice that are the leading indicators that you and I could die in one of those three fashions. So where does that leave us in this society that's afraid to die? The fear of death. I was listening to a show on uh, public radio just recently called Here and Now, and they did a survey and in this survey, they, they, they surveyed a, a population of American citizens, and 80% of the people surveyed said, do whatever it takes to keep me alive. CPR, ventilator, whatever it takes, 80% of the people surveyed says, I want to hang on to it as long as I can. So you do whatever you can to keep me alive. Interesting. They, did, they then surveyed Uh, the medical community and physicians and said, physicians, what's the story here? (laughs) I was surprised. 80% of the physicians said, do not resuscitate. (laughs) Just let me go. I've been there. We see what happens in an ER room and we see what happens in the quality of life that drops. Just an interesting comparison of, of a culture that wants to hang on to life so bad and is so fearful of death, and yet those who are entrusted with our health and the care there are therein say, I, I, I can go. No need to go to all the extreme measures to keep me alive. So what, what are we to do when we live in a society and culture that has such a, an aversion to death? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 2 and find out. Hebrews chapter 2, reading from the NIV, And bringing many sons and daughters to glory. 
That's us. The author of Hebrew, as Mark shared last week and Doug unpacked the intro, this, uh, this book is written to Jewish believers who have faced adversity for their faith and are considering giving up on the faith and moving back into their Judaism. And so those who believe, those sons and daughters that are being brought to glory, the author says it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. A few words you might want to highlight in here. The first one that stands out to me is the word fitting. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting. The idea in the original language here is that this is an act worthy of the character and the nature of God. It is an active demonstration worthy of who he is and how he does. And so it is fitting, this act that is worthy. That God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer. There's the next word you might want to underline. The pioneer. That idea is there in some of your versions in your Bibles. It may say the captain of your salvation. It's the leader. Jesus is point man. And he's going to lead by example in showing how he, through his action, his active demonstration that was fitting for the Father, as he leads through this, he will show us what to do with death and the fear thereof by example. We have a leader, and we're to follow is the intent here. He is the pioneer of, the, of our salvation the word perfect, that the, the pioneer of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered, uh, that idea of perfect there, it doesn't mean that he was morally made perfect. He already is perfect morally. The idea is that in doing so, in this active demonstration of overcoming the fear of death and overcoming the power of the evil one, he's complete in what he's doing and what he has done. It lacks nothing. It is totally sufficient in, in through what he suffered. And that's one you really want to underline or circle. What he suffered. Take note, and we'll come back to that one in, in just a bit. Both those who he makes holy, that's the idea of sanctification. One of my favorite scripture verses is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him Jesus, who knew no sin, it was all fitting that God would make him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become sanctified, that we might become the righteousness of God, that we as sons and daughters would be made holy. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. This is a communal thing for the body of Christ who was reading this letter as it came to those believers who were waffling on sliding back into their Judaism, having had a faith experience in Christ. And Jesus says, he, I'm not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Looking around the room tonight, he is not ashamed 
to call us brothers and sisters. It's fascinating. Next verse, verse 12. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. There's the communal aspect of the family here. In the assembly, I will sing your praise. This is Jesus, the pioneer, the way maker, the point man, singing praises with his brothers and sisters. And again, as we're worshiping, or as he says that they're worshiping, uh, that he will point his brothers and sisters to trust in God. Again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Those are Old Testament references there the the writer of Hebrews is using. One is from Psalm 22, and then the other two are from Isaiah chapter 8. And it's, again, revealing the communal nature and this this act that we're going to look at here in just a moment of Jesus overcoming the power and defeating the power of the enemy and death is proud to be counted among our number. He is not ashamed of his children. Verse 14 says then, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, remember back over on the previous slide to underline the word he suffered? This is what that means there now as we begin to unpack how he went about this act so fitting and so right that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it this way concerning verse 14 and 15. He says, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood Again, logical, or that word fitting, in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life and are scared to death of death. I mean, he's taking it head on, front and center. As brothers and sisters, he counts us. And as his children, we don't have to cower through life, as the phrasing Peterson uses there. We do not have to be scared to death of death. We do not have to be scared to death of death. Why? Because of the nature of his death. I found an article that that was somewhat fascinating, and it's an extra-biblical account of the crucifixion of Christ and kind of explains what was going on just from the average guy watching this thing unfold on the street. One of the things to first note about crucifixion, chances are if you were to have done a survey back in Palestine, first century, that would have been the most feared cause of death was crucifixion. It was brutal and it was disgusting and it was agonizing 
and vulgar. And it was a death, it was a form of execution that was reserved for three types of people under Roman rule. First, those who were thieves. Second, those who were deserters. And third, those who were enemies of the state. And what Rome would choose to do through this form of death, through this form of execution, if you were guilty of thieving and if you were guilty of stealing, you had a deterrent as you walked through the streets of Palestine I may not want to do that based on what I've seen. Or if you happen to want to be a deserter, you were a Roman official or soldier in the Roman brigade, and you were ready to pill and go AWOL, it was to serve as a deterrent. Or if you were to defy the power and the authority of Rome, again, it was to serve as a deterrent because this is what Rome does with thieves and deserters and enemies of the state. The author puts it this way. In Rome, people condemned to crucifixion were scourged beforehand. With the exception of women, Roman senators, and soldiers, unless they had deserted. During the scourging, a person was stripped naked, tied to a post, and then flogged across the back, the buttocks, and legs. This excessive whipping would weaken the victim, causing deep wounding, severe pain, and bleeding. And frequently, the victim fainted during the procedure, and sudden death was not uncommon. The victim was then usually taunted, then forced to carry the crossbar of the cross on his shoulders to the place of execution. The cruelty did not stop there. Sometimes the Roman soldiers would hurt the victim further, cutting off a body part, such as a tongue or an appendage, or cutting out an eye or two. In another heinous term, Josephus reports that certain, in certain situations under the rule of Antichus IV, that he would have the victim's children strangled and then hung around his neck on the cross. The next step varied with location. In Jerusalem, women would offer the condemned a pain-relieving drink, usually of wine and myrrh or incense. Then the victim would be tied and nailed to the patibulum. And after that, the patibulum was lifted and affixed to the upright post of the cross, and the feet were tied or nailed to it. While the victim awaited death, soldiers would commonly divide up the victim's clothes among themselves. But death didn't always come quickly. It took anywhere from three hours to four days to expire on most accounts. Sometimes the process was sped up by the additional physical abuse from the Roman soldiers. That said, victims could have died from various causes, including multiple organ failure, respiratory failure. Given the pain and the suffering entailed, it's no wonder that the crucifixion spawned the word excruciating, which means out of the cross. And when the person died, family members would collect, could collect and bury the body once they received permission from the Roman judge. Otherwise, the corpse was left on the cross 
where predatory animals and birds could devour it. I'll take a plane crash any day. <laughs> Yet, according to the author of Hebrews, this was fitting and that this was complete and that this form of death was sufficient for you and me as Jesus embraced death on our behalf. The good news is he died quickly, but the death was enough. It was sufficient. Remember his words, the seven last words from the cross? Remember those? It is finished. This form of Roman execution was fitting in order that many sons and daughters may be brought to glory. The cross was sufficient to cover our sin. And everything that separated humanity from a holy God, Jesus set it all straight at Calvary. And that's why we celebrate an empty tomb. Because not only did he die, he rose again in order to offer us life, having taken on the death that we deserved. And through believing and receiving this act so fitting, the pioneer of our salvation, point man Jesus showed us the way to eternal life. When considering the empty tomb, Paul puts it this way, that Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried, on the third day he rose to appear, to make himself known. I love Revelation 1.18. Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead, crucifixion. And now look, I am alive forever and I hold the keys to death and hell. Wow. And we get to get in by becoming children of God, brothers and sisters with whom he is not ashamed of. He is there with us. We were on his mind. We were probably central in his thoughts as he took that death upon himself for us. The scriptures say that he um, beheld the joy set before him and he endured the agony of the cross and has now sat down at the right hand of the God. And the joy, I believe, that he was set before him in Gethsemane, that he pushed all the way through that garden experience and the brutality and the vulgarity of the crucifixion, was put in a tomb and rose on the third day was the joy of you and I being his brothers and his sisters and children of God. So we need not fear death. Paul puts it this way over in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> I 
I've got a conversation going on with my youngest son right now, Gage, on whether or not we're going to get tattoos together. Gage came to me, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago, and uh, he said, hey, Dad, would you write out in your handwriting, Jehovah Rohi, God is shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23 starts with that phrase, Jehovah Rohi. He said, I want it in your handwriting, and Gage has a shepherd's heart. He's always been a good shepherd of souls. Whether he's in a small group or he's the care bearer at our house, and he just carries with him the spirit of empathy. And so uh, he said, Dad, can I get a tattoo with your handwriting somewhere on, on, my, on my torso? I said, sure, man. Why not? I think I'll get one too. And I want to have one that says DNR, somewhere wherever the heart is, somewhere in here. DNR, do not resuscitate. And then kind of work it across the torso, around the belly, back up with that scripture. That when they get ready to put the paddles on my chest, it says, hey, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Stay tuned. I'll let you know how it all works out. <laughs> hey, uh, in having a conversation around these issues of not fearing death, Kelsey Jennings and I got together this week, and we realized something very special about our dads. Both our dads did not fear death. In fact, in the last week of their lives, both Kelsey's dad and my dad showed us how to finish well. And so I've asked Kelsey to come, and we're just going to talk about two guys, two sons, two brothers, of Christ, who happened to be our dads as well as our brothers, and the things these guys taught us in the last week of their life. And so, Kelsey, welcome to the platform. Yeah, your dad is David Ray, and my dad is Tommy Jackson, and Kelsey's dad stepped into the kingdom, what, September 12th, 2017, and then my dad on March 20th, 2018. And we got together this week, and we were just talking, you know, what, what's the lasting impression? What's the lasting finger? print of David on Kelsey's life and Tommy on mine. So Kelsey, tell us a little about David and his impression and influence on your life. Yeah, so my dad was, um, he loved music, he was enthusiastic, and he was creative. Those are some of the things that I feel like he kind of passed along. Um, but he was, you know, I've never met a stranger, you know, real friendly and um, give the shirt off his back, you know, to anybody. Um, but yeah, so he just kind of lived enthusiastically, you know, joyful. But he also, you know, wasn't afraid to share his emotions. He wore his heart on his sleeve. He, you know, had the whole spectrum. Um, you know, he was affectionate, loving. I never doubted where I stood with him, you know, because he would, he was free to share his love and, and you know, all the emotions and feelings. So, yeah, yeah. man, emotionally aware. Yeah. 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 Yeah, dad, some of his influences on my life were um, to always look up to the bigness and the transcendence of God. And uh, even to this day, I love going out under a starry sky at night and just looking up and getting lost in the creations and the heavens as they declare the glory of God. He was a teacher and a uh, coach. And so uh, there was always great literature uh, around our home, and he would expose us to that, including the Bible. 
And then uh, also he was a great connoisseur of jazz and classical music, which kind of lasts to this day. So yeah, some of the lasting influences there. Hey, let's get into the story of their last week, David's last week and dad's last week. And what were some of the things God was showing you about this idea of having no fear in death as you went through that experience with him? Yeah, so dad actually had cancer about 10 years ago. So that, the story kind of backs up, you know. But I feel like during that time, that's really when the Lord started moving in him. And really, I think that's when he came to know the Lord, really, truly, how to have a relationship with him, how to pray, you know, and seek him. And, and his life changed, um, you know, after that. After that, being faced with death, I think that's what, you know, changed his life. And so... But um, after that, he still had a lot of health problems and rheumatoid arthritis. And he was a coach, too, loved sports. And, you know, when he got older, just the, the quality of life just wasn't, you know, what he wanted for his life. He was active. He was involved. And so when he was down and out, that wasn't, you know, working for him. And I remember one of the last conversations, uh, a few weeks before he passed away, we were on the phone. And he was just feeling bad and had had several health issues at the time and, um, you know, hard conversation for me to hear. But again, he didn't hold back just, you know, that, that he just didn't know if his life was worth living at, at the time. You know, of course, it was super hard to hear. But he ended up getting in a car accident. Um, and then he was basically on life support, you know. And the day I was visiting him at the hospital and they were telling me he's they couldn't get his you know um, levels regulated his organs were kind of they thought were going to shut down and warned me that he'd be coding so I was there and watching that like the story you shared about the doctors watching someone have CPR when knowing they already had broken ribs it was just horrible to watch and I that conversation the Lord used that conversation that was so hard to hear a few weeks previously. He brought that to my mind, and it was almost like Dad giving me permission. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lord tell, saying, like, just that that he had no fear in death. You know, this was his time. He, had, he wasn't going to have the quality of life if he lived through that. And so we had to call it, but the Lord gave me a lot of peace. Of course, it was hard, and we grieved, and, but there was so much peace in the room knowing he was free of that body and with a new body with Christ. And, yeah. And so we could celebrate in that. Yeah. Hey, quick disclaimer here. We, we're all for CPR. Don't, <laughs> don't send emails going, Jackson, it saved my life, or, you know, I'm trained. I'm trained too, Red Cross, all that. And, and that's not the point here. It's, we, we believe in, in saving lives. But at some point, um, just not to have the fear of death really aids in the decisions you need to make. <laughs> my dad... He turned 75 on his 75th, yeah, duh, on his 75th birthday. <laughs> I was 50. And uh, I said, Dad, what do you know at 75 I need to know at 50? And he said, son, everything after 70 is a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's a great humorist. He, he, he was, part of it was serious and a lot of it we just laughed together. But I said, hey, man, at 75, what? what do you want to do well right now? And he said, I want to keep my legs under me. You know, he's an athlete and a coach, and he just wanted to be able to keep moving and stay, stay active as long as he could. But this was really good. He said, I want to finish well. 
And that's kind of what my dad taught me as he stared uh, death down as a son of the Most High. In fact, um, he, he had a battle with leukemia. Both Kelsey and I, both our fathers, had impaired health toward the end of their lives. And um, I remember one, um, he was in the hospital and was having a real struggle with being anemic and weak and frail. And he checked himself out of the hospital the Monday before he died on a Friday evening. And I remember the doctor saying, Coach, you don't understand. You check yourself out of the hospital, you'll die. And I remember Dad going, yeah, but it'll be in my house. And uh, he said, I, I just want, I want to be carried out of my own home, feet first. <laughs> and it was a wonderful week, his last week. Because we're able to watch him go through something very hard. It was not easy, as you well know. The grief and the heaviness and all the reality of, of the power of the devil and death. And you start to really feel that and physically and emotionally, but spiritually, there was no fear in the process. In fact, when he passed, it was with great peace. And my dad kind of taught me how to finish well in that process as yours with David. Hey, just a quick uh, wrap up here. As you think about your own mortality, your life, your death. And by the way, Kelsey's expecting how far along? Oh, yeah. yeah. We're halfway through. We're 20 yeah. weeks. So. There you go. But as you think through your life and if the Lord tarries, you, you, you stare down death one day. Any thoughts out of what David taught you and based on the truth that we've looked at here tonight? Yeah, I'm, I think it's just God's grace, but I feel like my whole life I've never really had a fear of death. So I think that's just, again, his graciousness and also probably that example of mm. my dad kind of living, you know, with no fear <laughs> and um, just that kind of zest and... Um, so, yeah, I just think hopefully that's something. And my husband's the same way. I mean, he, he doesn't fear death. And I think we've always, even as a young kid, I always understood it was better. It was better mm. for our loved ones. It was better for me. That's something I look forward to, you know. And so hopefully that's something we um, get to pass along. Yeah, mm -hmm. most definitely. Yeah. To live as Christ, to die, gain, yeah. Thank you, Kelsey Jennings. Appreciate it. Yay, David Ray and Tommy Jackson. Kelsey and I are even talking. I, I don't know what's going on in the kingdom, but I hope they get to look in on some of this right now and see the influence that to realize that there was no fear and death for either one of those guys and that we as their offspring, as their son and daughter can, can face all this without fear. Let's go back to the text one more time by way of... Uh, the message. And perhaps you've done that. You've been on a journey with a loved one and seen them face down the power of, dev of the devil and death with great hope and with great peace, without fear. Thank God for that. Yea, for the examples of the men and women throughout the centuries, we join in with a throng of believers who live this side of heaven with no fear of death because the children are made of flesh and blood. It's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue us by his death. By embracing death, taking into himself 
He destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all, all who cower through life and are scared to death of death. Walk out of here tonight with that idea. There is no fear in death for us. For Jesus has destroyed the power of the evil one and the power of death and its stranglehold that it has held us. But before we wrap it up, just one opportunity. If you don't know Christ tonight, I believe he's making himself known to you. Because you may have walked in with a fear of death and the uncertainty of life and what's to come and we're here to tell you tonight, Jesus Christ is the pioneer of your salvation. He's the point man of your hope. But again, back to that passage that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a gospel. There is good news that you and I can become sons and daughters of the Most High and not have to fear death. And it's this, to believe that Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And that he appeared. Paul says he, he appeared to Peter and the 12 and then to 500. Get this, 500 brothers and sisters. And then Paul says in that passage, and lastly, he appeared to me. And he's appearing to you if you don't know him tonight. Believe that and receive it. It's a gift. He went to that cross and died the brutal, agonizing vulgar death of crucifixion so that you need not fear death. And by believing and receiving, you may have eternal life and be counted as a child of God. He brought you into this place tonight to make you his son and his daughter. Believe and receive. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done on our behalf, that it was fitting and proper, and you are the salvation. You are our hope. You are our peace. You are our life. And thank you for making us sons and daughters and bringing us into all that is the kingdom of God and eternal life. Amen.
stand together and sing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid crown, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of When striving seems my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in heaven's reign, this gift of love. Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ By darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Out from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he. Mosaic, join me in reading our benediction tonight. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then 
whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Amen. Hey, you're dismissed. We'll see you next week.